Welcome back to Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope and Colin Hill coming back at you after a week off last week. Colin, how was your vacation? It was thrilling. I can't say I did a ton, but uh, it was. Uh, I missed the pod. I missed the pod because now two weeks later we have uh, and the the entire college football playoff expanded while uh, we were on uh, we we're on our one week leave. Yeah, there was some pretty big news last week while you were on vacation. That's for sure, and that is without a doubt the news that the college football playoff uh nothing's finalized yet but we can see where this thing is heading but uh a formal recommendation has been made for the college football playoff to expand to 12 teams that recommendation would not have been publicized and put out in a press release if they didn't think it was something that was going to ultimately be approved so we'll see over the next couple weeks uh i think a meeting this week with uh, all of the conference commissioners and then a meeting next week with uh, university presidents uh, to ultimately approve and you know potentially make changes to the model that's been recommended right now. But college football playoff expansioning is happening, and it looks like it's going to be a 12-team college football playoff. Colin, I, I remember when we talked about this a month or so ago, you, you had said you thought eight teams was the most that they should expand to. So how do you feel about 12? Listen, Dan, sometimes you say some dumb stuff, and sometimes you say some dumb stuff while, while it's recorded. You know, the more I think about 12, I, I just – I've never I never really thought that they would end up at 12. I just – I didn't think that they were going to give teams buys in the way that they did, and I didn't give that a realistic thought. And I do think that the way that it's set up, it's pretty beneficial to a lot of people. Um, and I like the fact that – like one of my things is like I, I do want the regular season to matter still, and I think that this achieves that in that in, in that like the buys really matter. Like we're talking about playing an extra college football game against one of the top twelve teams in the country and avoiding that. Like the the buys really do matter, and in that in that respect, you know, I, I really do think it preserves a good bit of the of the meaning of the regular season. Uh, I really like the home games in the first round. And, and obviously I think like a lot of people it would be nice if they were also in the, the following round as well, but at least having some home games in the college football playoff, I really like, I think that, I think that one of my holdups for, you know, that, that we had talked about is I didn't really like the idea of just including a, a group of five team and an eight team playoff that I just felt like was going to get walloped by an Alabama every single year. I think in a 12 team field where they have a first round game, you know, it gives the G five a chance to have at least one team in there. And it gives it a chance to play a game that you're not playing one of the top four teams. You're going to avoid the one or two juggernauts that there are in a season. And maybe you do see it. You you do see one of those early upsets. Um, And I do think that the the way it's set up, like it allow it, it gives a, it gives a good, um, it gives the four teams that get the buys the that that are the best four teams in the regular season a pretty um, you know it, it it it's really beneficial to to have that and I think that that's important so like all in all like you know I understand why they did it I mean it makes sense and we haven't even gotten to the fact that it'll make them more money which like yes I can say that I understand why they did it in terms of uh, the each conference liking it but yes of course obviously the money. Um, is a major part of it as well. Yeah, I was surprised too when last week when it started to leak out that 
12 was probably going to be the direction they were going. I, I thought eight was more likely. I thought they might even go six. Like I thought, I thought there was a chance that they would, they would be hesitant to expand this much, but they might just even go six teams or, you know, I thought, I thought eight teams was the most likely outcome, but I do think there's a lot to like about 12. You know, I think, you know, part of it, you know, the argument was, well, if you go to eight and then you, you know, put in these six uh, automatic bids, well, then you've only got two at large teams. So, you know, potentially, you know, you're leaving out, you know, you're, you're not going to actually get the eight best teams in there. I kind of, like you said, you know, if a group of five, you know, your chances are better, but you know, maybe you're not getting those eight best teams in there. So I think 12 creates more of a balance where you can get those, you know, deserving conference champions in while still making sure you're also getting the uh, best teams into the field. Uh, I think you make a, I think you make a good point about the buys too, but that, it still gives those top four teams something to really play for because there's absolutely a huge difference between having to win three games and having to win four games in the college ball playoff. So I, I think you make a good point there. Cause I mean, there was a part of me when I started looking at it, you know, thinking about it last week, I'm like, shoot, why not just do 16? Cause then you could get all 10 conference champions in there and still have those six at large teams. But you know, I, I think you make a good point that, you know, the buy gives those teams something to play for. It's not quite the same as actually getting into the field in terms of incentive, but I do think it's good for there to be an incentive out there. But, hey, if you're Alabama, if you're Clemson, Ohio State, you know, you, you can't just sleepwalk through a regular season here. There's still something out there for you to play for. I, I do think, I do think though, I mean, the, the one big gripe that I have with it that I think a lot of people have with it is this idea of seeds five through eight are going to get to host a home game, but seeds one through four aren't. Because to me, that just doesn't add up. To me, hosting a, a home game on campus is a potentially huge reward of this thing. And to not give that to the teams that have the highest seed, that just doesn't seem right. Yeah, it doesn't make a ton of sense because I'll be honest, like if I am, say I'm Cincinnati and like last season we were really, really good. Um, we missed the playoff, but, but we were really, really good. So we're coming into the next season. We bring a lot of people back and we are expected to, to do well. And we somehow get into this and where we're undefeated, you know, we are certainly a lock for a 12 team playoff you know, with, with the way that the college football playoff committee views group of five teams, you're certainly not locked for like a one or two seed, even if you're undefeated Cincinnati, but maybe, maybe you're uh, in, in that four or five mix being four and having a buy if you're in Cincinnati is pretty cool. But if I'm Cincinnati, I almost would prefer five because the chance to get a home college football playoff game in Cincinnati's home stadium against a power five team, uh, that would sort of be awesome if I was Cincinnati. And I feel like it's a, it's a weird thing where I'm considering it from a college football playoff perspective and saying maybe there's a situation where a team would rather be the fifth seed than the fourth seed, and that doesn't totally add up. Yeah, I mean, I would think if you ask any coach, they're going to want that buy over anything else because obviously – it's easier to win a national championship when you don't have to win as many games. So I agree, I, but I'm talking about, I'm talking about the fans. I'm talking about the program as a whole. I'm talking about like, if I'm a Cincinnati fan, I want the home game. I don't know. May, if, if I'm a, if I'm 
I'll be, do it from my perspective. Like I'm a West Virginia fan. I would rather have West Virginia as the five seed than the four seed. Cause I'll be honest. I don't foresee a situation where I view West Virginia as the national championship favorite. So I would prefer a chance to host a home game in Morgantown. I mean, look, I want to see a college football playoff game in the shoe. Like I think that would be awesome. So, you know, to me, if, if that's the way they do it, then yeah, there's going to be a year. I want, I want to see Ohio state be that five through eight seed. Cause I want to see Ohio state host a college football game in college football playoff game of a shoot. I think that'd be really cool. And I would think there's a lot of Ohio state fans out there who probably feel the same way that like the idea yep. of having a college football playoff game in Columbus in the shoe, like that's something people are going to want. So like, you know, I guess, you know, if you want to put a positive spin on it, you could say, well, then it, you know, it, at least it gives like, it gives something to be excited about. If you're one of those five through eight seeds, if you don't get that top four seed, it just doesn't sit right with me that like you'd be giving some kind of reward to the middle seeds that you're not giving to those top seeds. Now I say that with the understanding of the reason why they want the quarterfinals to be at full sites is again, because of money and it's because of these agreements that they have with these bowls and the reality that it, you know, you have six, marquee bowl games for new year's six bowls right now i would assume the idea here is for those six bowls to be the semifinals and the quarterfinals every year in some form of rotation because the reality is if you don't include all the bowls in this the rest of the bowls are about to become even more relevant than they already are i mean when, once you expand this to a 12 team playoff the, the rest of the bowl games to me i think the playoff was already starting to make them irrelevant but now nobody's going to care. I mean, nobody, nobody's going to care about the other bowl games. I mean, people will watch because it's football, but none of those other bowl games are going to hold any cachet anymore when you've got the 12 best teams playing in the playoff. So I, I get why they're going that direction. Um, I'm curious, though, to see how the discussions play out the next couple of weeks. I think there's enough backlash, not just from fans, but from you know athletic directors too, that I think there's at least a chance that could change. I, if I, you know, gun to my head, if I have to predict how it's going to play out, I'm going to predict that it probably stays the way they have it recommended and that the bowl games probably will host the quarterfinals. But I think there's a chance that could change because I think there's enough people that are looking at it and saying, what the hell, this doesn't make any sense. From a purely Ohio State perspective, I know you wrote about this um, on Sunday, but I mean, you listed out a bunch of pros and cons, all of which I think are important. If you're just to step back and say, ultimately, is it a pro or is it a con for from Ohio State perspective to go from 4 to 12, how do you view it? Like I said, there's, there's definitely pros and cons to it. I don't know that I have a strong feeling yet of like whether this is ultimately better or worse for Ohio State because, you know, I think the clear pros are, I mean, it's going to be easier to make playoff. Like, if you look at what Ohio state is doing right now and, and how well positioned it is to continue its dominance of a big 10, then theoretically Ohio state should make the playoff every single year. I mean, who knows what's going to happen down the line, but right now Ohio state is in a position where it's hard to see Ohio state just not making the playoff because I, I think you're in a position now where I think a 10 and two regular season is going to fairly safely get Ohio state 
into the college ball playoff. Heck, a nine and three season in some years might even give Ohio State a chance. So I, I think, you know, the good thing is it, it, it gives you a lot more margin for error. Uh, it, it makes it easier for you to make the playoff. I also think it gives you a tangible reward for continuing to dominate the Big Ten as you have because those buys that we talked about, only conference champions are going to be eligible for those buys. So that means really, you know, I, my feeling is any year Ohio State, you know, again, you know, let's say Ohio State goes 11 and one and then they win the Big Ten championship. I think mean, that Ohio State team is going to be very well positioned to get one of those four buys. And, you know, that's obviously, you know, an, an advantage. Now, it's not as much of an advantage as being one of only four teams in the field. And so why, you know, why I'm not totally sure this is a net positive for Ohio State is because Ohio State has been in four of the first seven college ball playoffs. Right now, they're well positioned to where I, I think they can continue to make the college ball playoff more often than not. So you add more variables in, you you give, you make Ohio State have to win another game against a top 12 team. You increase the likelihood of other teams kind of breaking up that power structure in college football. And I think long term, you know, if, if other teams can kind of break into that final four more often and, you know, make runs, you know, even if they don't win the national championship, just to win games in the playoff and, and make a run at it. I think that can help those teams from a recruiting perspective and, and potentially catch up to some of these power programs, not all the way, but at least to start to narrow that gap. But I think overall, I, I do think it's a net positive because I think it, it means you're, you're going to make the playoff more often i i think you know it's still set up to where if ohio state does the things it's supposed to do you know being the dominant team in a conference it's going to have a chance to go into the playoff with an advantage regularly and again it is going to generate more money for the sport and we're talking about an athletic department that just came off a, a 50 million dollar deficit this year you know generating more money it, it's going to allow all of these athletic departments, including Ohio state to help make up for these losses they incurred last year and to do more things in the future. I think it's, I I would come out as it being a positive for Ohio state as well, simply because they'll basically never miss the playoff again. And they're talented enough every single year to win it. And now they'll probably be in and have a chance to win it every single year. Like, I think it's as simple as that. Like, yes, there'll probably be a year or two that they miss it. And then that's decade or two. Um, But as long as Ryan Day's recruiting the way he is and his head coach at Ohio State, um, as long as they're bringing in these types of quarterbacks, they're going to be really good. I mean, I think back to the 2015 team, like that team would have been in and like, who knows what happens? Like, sure, they didn't click for a lot, a, a large portion of the year. Can you figure it out at the end of the year, win three games with what might have been the most talented you know, team in the past couple of decades? Maybe even like the 2017 and 2018 teams, which were flawed, like those teams get in and those teams were really, really talented. Like, like, yes, they had flaws. Like the 2018 defense was atrocious. Like 2017, we're talking about like, can JT Barrett win a national championship? Like, obviously they wouldn't have entered as favorites, but you still have a chance to play for a championship. And I think that that's why it's net positive because the way Ohio state is, like they're always going to have national championship worthy talent. And now they'll always be in the position to be just a few games away um, from winning one. Yeah. I think that's a really good point because, 
yeah, I mean, Ohio State in the college ball playoff era, you know, there hasn't been a year where, I mean, they, they would have made it easily in all seven of these years. And if you get in, you never know what can happen. And if you're as talented as Ohio State, you know, you can look at those teams and, you know, I think you could say, well, you know, they didn't really deserve to be in those years, but they had enough talent. I mean, I think, you know, I think the 2018 team probably would have ended a lot like this last year did where they would have got blown out by somebody in the playoff because their defense was so bad. But you think back to like that 2015 team, like, yeah, that team could have gotten hot and won a national championship. There's, there's no doubt about it, that that could have happened if it got the opportunity. So you always yeah, want to have like, I think we, we always talk about, we've talked for so long about like, what's a successful season in Ohio state? Like what are expectations? <laughs> we are about to enter an era where 100% of the time, the expectation for Ohio state will be to make the playoff. Um, and it's hard to know like what to really expect of them. Like, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how things develop. And this is obviously speculation, but like, how do you view a team that makes the playoff as a, you know, a, a number six seed and hosts a game and, or, or makes the playoff as like a number four seed and, and loses right away versus a team that's like the fifth seed and, and they win a college football game playoff game at home and then they get blown out in the, the second round by a higher seed. I don't know. It adds all these other interesting wrinkles to, 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 uh, the the playoff that we haven't had. I, I think it's I think it's fascinating, and I do think like I think twelve is better than eight. Like I think that I think that they figured that out um, correctly. And like the more I think about it, the more I see it. Uh, I thought it was weird initially because to be honest, like when I think about when I think about the NCAA and in college football, I think about them moving slowly to change. And when in fact, I probably should have taken a step back and thought the more teams mean the more money. So maybe I should be a little bit more open to them doing that. Yeah. You know, and I, I think from Ohio state's perspective, I think to me, I mean, making the college football playoff is already the expectation at Ohio state to say that it wasn't like that would be selling things short like that. It's already the expectation, but I, I think the difference is now just making the college football playoff is no longer going to be an accomplishment if you're Ohio state. Uh, not making it is going to be viewed as a major disappointment, much like, you know, if you don't make the NCAA tournament in basketball, I mean, for, for Ohio state, I mean, this is, this is only true for a select few teams, but for Ohio state, the reality is you are now going to be expected to make the playoff every single year. And if you don't, something went wrong and it's Ohio state fans are going to be very unhappy about that, but you know, it's going to, it's ultimately, it's going to go both ways here. There's, there's going to be a year where Ohio State wasn't a top four team, gets in the playoff because of this, and ends up making a run and takes advantage of it. There's going to be a year where Ohio State's a top four team, and it gets upset in its first game. And so I, I think ultimately it's going to even out in that regard in terms of, you know, I don't think it's going to necessarily increase or decrease how many national championships Ohio State wins in the long run. But I just think for the sport as a whole, I think it's going to make it so much more interesting. And I know, you know, people worry about, you know, the impact on the regular season. And, you know, I think, you know, the way I look at it, that is like, yeah, you think of like those few, like really big games every year that happen where, you know, maybe, you know, a playoff spot is on the line and maybe you don't have those few, like really big, enormous stakes games that you've had in the past during the regular season. But I think like when you get into November in this, like there's going to be so many more games that have so that have actual playoff implications, and there's going to be so many more teams 
that are actually in this conversation that I think it's just going to make the sport a lot more interesting for a lot more people. And then I think because of those buys and because of seeding and all that, you know, there's still going to be things for teams to play for. So it's going to be really fascinating. You know, I think of that conference championship game weekend where, you know, like, you know, typically it's just been about, okay, do they make the final four and what seed are they? But now it's going to be, okay, who gets a buy? Who's playing in two weeks from now? All of that. It's just going to make it really fascinating. And I, I really do believe for the sport, it's absolutely going to be a net positive. And I think it's, I think it's going to give this whole college football playoff more of an NCAA tournament feel, which I think is going to be a lot of fun. I love that the first, um, the first, if, if this is implemented um, in, in 2023, right? That's, isn't that the, yeah, that's, they, they haven't set a date yet. That is the first possible year it could be in. Listen, I'm a West Virginia fan. If that's the first, if that's when they play at home against Pitt and end it in the playoff, Dan. I, that 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 would make me a happy man, but I think that you said you had an interesting way to frame it. I thought, and one that I hadn't really considered. You know, you said you don't know if it increases the national championships that Ohio State would have over the long haul. I hadn't really thought of it that way. Um, I actually think it does. Um, maybe it's really. Uh, a, I don't know how you even calculate this. I think it's a really small number, but I think that there are really good teams that wouldn't make it in a four-team playoff for Ohio State because maybe they lose one game that are in and and are capable of winning a national championship. And I think that the way you frame that actually has sort of made me think about it differently. And yeah, I just think this is definitely a positive for Ohio State because I think they'll have good teams that would have missed it that aren't going to miss it. And over time, I think whether that's one or two more national championships than they would have gotten in a 14 playoff, I actually do think that makes a difference. You know, Ohio State, if, if they continue to recruit the kind of talent they have, if they continue to put together the kind of teams they have, then they're always going to be a dangerous team. I mean, I mean you think of, think of the year where Ohio State does lose a couple games. They're going to be that nine or ten seed that nobody wants to draw in the first round because they're probably going to be a you know I mean if imagine a scenario in which okay Ohio State struggles through the year and they're the eleven seed but then they draw the group of five champion in their first round game I mean Ohio State's probably going to win that game because they're probably going to have more talent so uh, I think it's absolutely going to uh, create some opportunities for teams that you know underachieve maybe during the regular season to still make a run and again you can argue whether that's good or bad for the sport ultimately i think you have at least i view it from a prism of this is sports it, it's it's there's, there's entertainment value here there's uh what makes things interesting here and to me if this makes the sport more entertaining if this makes the sport more interesting and then Obviously, most importantly, if it gives more teams a chance, I mean, there's always going to be controversy. There's going to be controversy now about who is 12 versus 13. There's going to be controversy over four versus five in terms of who gets a buy. There's going to be controversy with eight versus nine in terms of who gets to host that first round game. So there's still always going to be those debates. But, you know, the argument over, well, the the team that was left out is the number 13 team, you know, in, in college football, 
I have a hard time imagining like that number 13 team is going to be a team that really would have won the won the college ball playoff if it made it. So I think if to, to open it up in a way that you know gives the all of the deserving teams a chance to compete for a championship. And then ultimately you got to go up there with the games. And uh, obviously, you know, these games are going to carry more weight than regular season games, but you, you got to go out there and, and, and win the games. And if you give, give teams a chance, you know, ult- ultimately the team that uh, does what it needs to do in December and January is going to be the team that holds that trophy at the end of the year. I am interested to see like what's going to be like the new debate. Like obviously the debate right now is four or five, like who's in at the end. Literally nobody will make the 12, 13 debate because everybody else will just be pointing and laughing at them. Because if you're like, no, my nine and three Michigan state team is in like, stop it, leave the room. No one's interested in your opinion ever again. Uh, but like, is, is it the four or five? It'll happen. Oh, I mean, it'll I mean, happen, it, but it happens. It happens with the last teams in the NCAA basketball tournament. So it'll, it'll happen. It will. I will disregard them out of hand though, because I have no interest in whether an eight and four Washington state team should make it over an 11, one, 11 and one Memphis team. Like, I don't care. I don't care. But I, I don't know what's going to be the new debate. Like, is it going to be the 12-13 debate? Please tell me no. I'm a little bit worried that that might be some sort of debate. Maybe it's still the 4-5 or five on who gets the buy, who doesn't. I don't know. All of this is obviously going to be subjective to largely other than the conference champions, which, you know, a certain number get an automatic bid, um, which, which is not the case right now. Um, but, like, yes, the, the, those will be subjective. But I also think – um, when you have this amount of teams, um, I, I'm. Some people have framed it in a way where there are going to be more debates, and I understand that, but I don't think that that's necessarily bad um, because, like, if we're going to have the 12-13 debate, we're going to have the 12-13 debate, and it's going to matter significantly less than four or five. When a lot of times, like the four or five, the the four or five debate really is just like who do you think is better um, from an outside perspective. Uh, of of these elite elite teams and and sometimes like from an Ohio State perspective like we know this over the years like Ohio really good Ohio State teams have been left out that you know maybe you know the the 2015 Ohio State team was left out the 2016 2016 Ohio State team made it that 2016 team was was nothing special um and and in this in, in this case like I think some of the better Ohio State teams would make it in years that they weren't. And some of the worst ones would, <laughs> would, would still make it uh, if they have a, a, a gourd, a good, or, you know, from an Ohio state perspective, just average regular season. Yeah. And I think some people too, like they, they make the point of, well, I mean, look at these college football playoff games. Most of them have been lopsided. So there's just going to be more lopsided games as a result of this, but I, I don't know that I see it playing out that way. I mean, I think, a lot of times I think the gap between one and five is probably bigger than the gap between five and 12. So I think you're going to get some competitive games for sure. In the first round, you know, you mentioned a team like that Ohio state 2016 team. I mean, I think you could get some of these teams that have made the playoff that, you know, they could get, they, they, they might get weeded out around earlier. And maybe that leads to more competitive semifinals. If you maybe weed out some of these teams that, made the semifinals based on resumes, but aren't necessarily actually one of the four best teams. I, I think, I think, there's, you know, I think it's going to be a mix. I think there's absolutely going to be some blowouts in, the, in all of these rounds, but I also think that, you know, there's going to be plenty of competitive games. And I think it's, I'm going to be fascinated to see how that plays out in terms of, 
you know, how those first couple rounds go and maybe how that impacts what the games look like in the later rounds. Yeah, I think, you know, I think you make the right point. You said that there's a bigger difference between one and five than there's between like five and 12. And I agree with that. I might say there's a bigger difference between two and three than five and 12. Like a lot of times there's one or two awesome teams in a year. Um, One, two or three just depends on the year. Like this past year, I would argue there were three. Um, And the year before I went to yeah, yeah, I would too. And, and a lot of times, like, it's just sometimes those early ones are just beatdowns. And I do think you actually make a good point that, like, if, if you're going to avoid that right off the bat and in your only games be, like, a 1-4 game and a 2-3 game, I think there's probably a higher percentage of games that aren't lopsided. We did get a couple questions about this this week. Kay Sterling asked, I alluded to this a little bit before, but he said, how much of an effect do you think the possible expansion of the playoff will have on Ohio State's recruiting? I would imagine some, but would it be significant? I'm sure teams that are constantly in position to make the playoffs would be able to make the push that they're an easier path to playing time at their school over in OSU, Alabama, Clemson. But would it be significant enough to knock OSU or any of the other current major contenders down a peg? My feeling is i mean we're not going to know for sure until we see how it all plays out my my feeling is i think this could narrow the gap a little but i don't think it's going to change the balance of power in the sport i don't think that you know this is going to be what allows michigan to suddenly catch up to ohio state or you know whatever example you want to use of a a second tier team in college football right now. I don't think this is going to close the gap between the superpowers of the sport and everyone else. I think it might narrow it a little bit because of a point you made, because I, I do think more teams are going to realistically have a chance to say, to at least sell that they can compete for a national championship now. And, you know, if you also can sell more playing time, et cetera, but I, I do think that could help them some in the recruiting trail. But do I think expanding the playoff is going to change what Ryan Day is building on the recruiting trail right now? Do I think Ohio State is suddenly going to have a hard time attracting elite recruits to Ohio State? Not at all. I, I, I still think that uh, you know if, if Ohio State falls off from being the power that it is in recruiting, I don't think it's going to be because the playoff got bigger. You know, you you framed it in that other schools can sell that they can compete for a title. Ohio State will sell that they will compete for a title every single year. And they'll sell, we are going to go to the college football playoff every single year, and you will have a chance to compete for national championship every single year. Um, so, no, I don't think that this is going to make there more parity. I think that there is going to be like a little bit of an interesting Cinderella effect, like – Maybe there's a nine seed or a 11 seed that makes a run to you know, whether it be the final four or the, the national championship. Um, and, and maybe they get a, a bump there also. Maybe the coach leaves. <laughs> like, um, so it's hard to, hard to know exactly how that'll work. But I do think seeing the Cinderella effect, that'll happen. But I, this isn't, to me, this isn't going to affect recruiting that much. And, and I guess I could be wrong, but. If you're Ohio State, if you're Alabama, if you're Clemson, even if you're like in Oklahoma, it's like, yeah, we're going to go to the college football playoff every single year, and you can do that, or you can go somewhere else and maybe get to the playoff 
and maybe compete. Yeah, and I think if you look at like from the NCAA tournament in the past, like you think of the teams that have made a run, like a VCU, for example. I know you're a VCU guy. Like when they made that run, it certainly gave them a bump. It made them more relevant, but it didn't make them Duke. You know what I mean? It didn't make them North Carolina. You know, so I, I think I think a similar thing could happen in football, where I think if a team can make the playoff and win a game or two and you know, really have something to sell. I think it can give them a bump, but unless you can do that on a sustained basis, you're not going to get to where Ohio State and Alabama and Clemson are because those schools have already proven they could do it on a sustained basis. And I don't think expanding the playoff is going to stop them from, I mean, it's for one, those teams really should make the playoff every year. If they, and if they make the playoff every year, they're going to be able to sell that. And most likely, they're going to win at least one game more often than not in the playoff, too, especially now that you know you have to win more games, but also theoretically, that first game you have to win should be easier than the first games you've had to win in the playoffs so far. Yeah, there's there, there are a lot of interesting parts to this, and you know, it'll be it'll be fascinating to see. We have two more debates, two more debates on the four or five uh, seedings. We will see where Ohio State ends up because. Whoever, whoever gets the five seed in 2022 will feel like they are screwed. We were also asked by Gare Bear, Notre Dame and the expansion. Golden Domer's going to conference up or nah? And he asked that, of course, because under the current proposal, Notre Dame would not be eligible for a buy. And that means that you know, if they choose to remain independent, then the best they could ever be in – the college football playoff going forward would be the fifth seed. So I think that's going to be interesting. I mean, I, I don't have any inside information on what Notre Dame is going to do. So uh, I, I really, I really don't know on that. Uh, but you know, I, if, if we hear in the next couple of years here that Notre Dame decides to, you know, actually join the ACC and become a full member over there, I think that's where they would go because they already have that affiliation with the ACC. So I think if that if that were to happen, it definitely wouldn't surprise me. Um, you know, I think I think being left out of a top four in the college football playoff it is a pretty big incentive to make Notre Dame uh, want to think about actually finally joining a conference. So it definitely uh, would not surprise me if it happens. Everything that I have seen, however, has made it seem like that's not going to happen, and 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 a large part is that you know the the way that. You know, the way that this is going to be set up is that you know six there are going to be six um, at large opportunities, and for Notre Dame, like if you're Notre Dame, you should probably feel like you are deserving as one of the six at large teams every single year. I mean, I'm sure that should be an expectation for Brian Kelly and whoever follows him that if you're Notre Dame, then then that's where you should be. Um, so the fact that I, at least as of now, that seems to have uh, appeased Notre Dame. Um, I do not expect that they're going to join a conference anytime soon, and they will just ride it out and not be eligible for that first-round buy, but but still be eligible for, for six at-large opportunities. How's this for some breaking news while we record here on a Monday afternoon? Aaron Kraft is returning to the basketball tournament, so that's always exciting news for Ohio State basketball fans. He's on Carmen's crew, which means, Dan, we have an Aaron Craft Keyshawn Woods backcourt. That's fun. That's fun. Uh, I, yes. Yeah. Uh, two legendary Ohio State Buckeyes 
uh, running running the show. It's actually, I will say, like this is a sidetrack because it just happened. We're going straight from the college football playoff to the basketball tournament, which is you know two quite, e- quite a transition. Two equally prestigious tournaments. It's exactly exactly. Um, I will say this roster is absolutely fascinating because you pair like you pair sort of an aging roster where you got like a Deepler and Aaron Kraft, David Lighty, with Keyshawn Woods, uh, Caleb Wesson. Um, you have, you know, Jeff Gibbs who's, who's helped them. I, I sort of like this roster. I like this roster. They needed some, they needed some new blood and it feels like they've got that. Yeah, no, I, I think it'll be fun. You know, having guys like Caleb Wesson in there, you know, we've seen, uh, that roster. It, it's been kind of that early, uh, 2010s Ohio state group, which I think there's a lot of nostalgia, uh, associated with that group. It's, you know, the most successful teams that Ohio state have had in recent memory. And so I think people love watching those guys play, especially guys like Kraft and Diebler and Lighty and you know, Sellinger coaching. But I think to kind of get that mix of old and new is going to be, is going to be fun. I also thank, uh, Evan Turner as the, uh, general manager, like shout out to you. You're just making moves left and right. Yeah. Boston Celtics assistant coach showing his, uh, GMing abilities here. Let's make, let's make him Boston Celtics head coach while we're at it. Just for fun. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. If Brad Stevens steps down and it's Evan, Evan Turner taking over, like, come on, who, who doesn't want that? Other than probably many people who live in Boston or Celtics fans. We could talk more about uh, TBT next month when that is actually happening, but it is still June here. So I think uh, we, we've got to talk some football recruiting, of course, because uh, it has been a crazy month on the recruiting trail and still a lot more to come here over the next couple of weeks. Uh, there'll actually be a couple camps happening in between the time this publishes and when we record it, we're recording here on Monday because I will be at camp all day on Tuesday and Wednesday, but uh, lots of uh, big visitors coming in this month for Ohio state. Uh, one commitment so far from those visits, that being Caleb Brown who committed uh, last week. So uh, we're talking about it this week since we didn't have a pod last week, but Caleb Brown uh, yet another top 100 wide receiver for Brian Hartline. This is now the 11th commitment that Brian Hartline has landed from a top 100 wide receiver since becoming uh, Ohio state's receiver coach, which is just insane. I mean, it's just, that's just an an insane uh, recruiting run that he has been on uh, at recruiting talent at that position. And and so, uh, you know, he's just done a remarkable job at, at recruiting elite talent into that room. But I do think this one's interesting because I, I do remember making the point on this show at some point last year. I think it was after either Jalen Gill or Mookie Cooper announced that they were transferring. And that's that I wasn't really sure if we were going to see Ohio State continue to recruit these H-back type of receivers because we've seen guys like Jalen Gill and Demario McCall and, and Mookie Cooper not really do anything in Ohio State's offense at that position. And that's the kind of player Caleb Brown is. You're looking at a guy who's played mostly running back in high school, uh, but they are recruiting him to play uh, slot receiver. So, you know, I think, you know, he's a guy that's got that, that, you know, that Curtis Samuel, uh, Jalen Marshall kind of mold that, you know, he could be both that receiver and a, and a running threat. And I think he's got a lot of talent. I think he's going to be a really good uh, player if he's utilized to his potential. I'm just curious to see how this plays out because we've seen that Ohio State's kind of gone away from that whole H-back thing. And now 
bringing in Caleb Brown tells me that they still want that to be a part of the offense. We'll see if it actually materializes. Yeah, and, and I – I don't think that it'll ever be like an H back the way that Urban Meyer drew it up. I think it's just sometimes you just want a wide receiver who is really talented, who happens to be small. Um, and, you know, I do think if Mookie Cooper stuck it out, like I think that there would have been a role for him. Um, he just decided to, to leave. And I think at Missouri, he's going to be really good. Uh, I don't know if I would recommend somebody who is that type of player to come to Ohio state in the same way. I wouldn't necessarily recommend the second coming of Jeremy record to go to Ohio state, just because I think that you might get the ball more often elsewhere. It's not that Ohio state can't develop this kind of guy. It's just, I think that there might be other opportunities elsewhere. Uh, that said, he's really, really good. And also like, this was a very mean thing for Brian Hartline to do because he was rejected to go to Michigan. And the fact that Ohio state went out and, got a guy uh, who is the kind of receiver who has transferred a couple of times recently and happened to be Michigan's number one target of the position. And they just decided let's go get that guy and add him who is a top 100 recruit, who is the fifth best wide receiver in the class. Like got to hand it to Brian Hartline. The guy just does whatever he wants on the recruiting trail. Yeah. And I mean, you just look at this receiver room and you just go, I mean, this room should be elite for years to come because there's just there's so much talent already in it and then they're just lining up more and more i mean they've they've got caleb burton keon grays i think Mm -hmm. and then uh caleb brown committed for the 2022 class and they're still trying to get one more it sounds like they've got uh again i hope i get this right kojo antwi coming on uh for an official visit this weekend uh, I don't think CJ Williams is coming for an official visit, but he's another top 100 guy. They're still recruiting. Uh, so they're hoping to land another big, a big receiver in, in this class. And so they just keep loading up on talent at the position. And it makes you think that that wide receiver room is going to be really, really talented for years to come. Yeah. I mean, I think I made this, I think I made this point when Jameson Williams transferred to, and it's like, I don't know how many of these guys will spend their entire careers at Ohio state, but to me, it doesn't really matter from an Ohio state perspective because you bring a lot of guys in and you, the the cream rises to the top and and you are going to figure out who's the very best of the best. It's sort of why I like the, the CJ Stroud, Jack Miller, um, bringing them both in at the same time, because you have those guys plus Kyle McCord. It's like one of those three guys has to work out in the quarterback room. And I view it the same way at wide receiver. If you're going to bring in all these guys, one, I think you can do that um, because you're Brian Hartline and like very rarely is our, our, our teams and coaches able to do something like that. But Brian Hartline is just able to somehow do that year after year. But two, like you can sell it on the fact that we are as Ohio State are going to develop you really well. And either you're going to be a big time player for us or if it doesn't work out and you want to go. You can go start at Alabama like Jameson Williams did. You can go do what Mookie Cooper does, which is probably going to be a, a highly productive wide receiver at, at Missouri, and and you can go that route in the era of the one-time transfer rule. So, like, as impressive as this is for Ryan Hartline, like, as long as he's Ohio State's wide receivers coach, I, I see it continuing. Yeah, it's like we have to go into this realistically and realize that, you know, not, not every – one of these guys is going to be a star at Ohio state. Like it's just not going to happen. I mean, we've already seen it with the class that arrived a year ago. That was so highly regarded that class of 2019. I mean, one of them's already left in Mookie Cooper. And then another one, G Scott 
he he might be a star, but he's changed positions. He's moved to tight end. So, you know, that that highly regarded class of four wide receivers, two of them are already gone from that receiver room. So, you know, that's going to happen. I mean, not not every one of these guys is going to be a, a star, but it's just, you know, it, it's giving yourself more ammo. The more potential stars you can bring in, then the more chances you're giving yourself of getting the next Chris Olave, of getting the next Garrett Wilson. And I think there's reason to be extremely confident that out of all these guys bringing in, I mean, at least, you know, a few of these guys are going to become star receivers at Ohio State, and it's going to give them a lot of weapons to work with. Takeaway again, Brian Hartline, still good. Ohio State's receivers, going to be good. I know, shocking stuff out here. Lots of, you know, other stuff happening on the recruiting trail. I mean, we could do a whole episode just talking about all the different visitors that are, that are coming in and out. I don't necessarily want to do that. Um, I think obviously the, the big thing that's happening this week, uh, the visit that I think everybody has been anticipating is JT Tumolowal finally making his long awaited trip to Columbus. He's making his official visit this week. Uh, he's at USC uh, right now, as we speak, I believe. Uh, he's there, then he's going to come to Ohio State. He's already been to Washington. Then next week he will go to Oregon and to Alabama. And then, you know, we expect the decision from him is going to come, you know, very soon after that because he's got to enroll in a school. I mean, he's most likely in early July is going to enroll in a school. So it's going to be extremely interesting to see how that plays out over the next few weeks because as we've talked about before, I mean, whoever gets JT is getting a guy who's going to make an immediate impact for him this season. That's the kind of talent he is. And, you know, really, we've never really seen anything like this where you've got a guy of this caliber going through his recruiting process weeks before he's going to roll on campus and then in a few months could be on the field playing for that team. I think it's worthwhile, and I think I'm probably going to write this later this week um, when he does begin his visit to just sort of take a step back and realize like what this at what what this would actually mean. Because to be honest, like I think that there's JT to, JTT fatigue out there, and I and I totally understand it because how could there not be? Like we've been talking about his name forever. The information has been so difficult to come by. It's taken an obscenely long time. But we're talking about a guy who would be the top-rated defensive recruit in modern-day Ohio State recruiting. Like the last two decades, he would be the highest-rated defensive recruit that Ohio State has gotten, unless you're going to count the fact that Ted Ginn was technically a cornerback when he was a recruit, which personally I'm not going to. But if you want to, feel free. We're talking about a guy who would make this the, the, the 2021 Ohio State recruiting class you know, the best modern-day recruiting class unequivocally um, when you look at when you look at the, the the numbers behind it you're looking at a commitment that would give Ohio State two of the top four prospects both of whom are defensive ends who you can count on for the next three years before they are potentially first round NFL draft picks and Jack Sawyer and JTT like this would be a massive massive get and I do think it's worth at least reminding yourself like yes it will be nice when he makes a decision one way or another. So we don't have to continue to bring up his name, but like, this is the kind of guy who like any other program would die for. And just, just because Ohio state 
has landed landed five other five star recruits in the 2020 recruiting class does not diminish what JTT is because that guy that guy would that guy is special. Yeah, he's the number three overall prospect in the country. I mean, some people think he's the best prospect in the country. So yeah, I mean, this is it, wherever he goes, he has the potential to make an enormous impact. And I think you know that makes this the the most important visit of a month that's absolutely full of them. You've covered recruiting a little bit here over the past couple of weeks. Just like give the people an impression of what this has been like. Cause you've been at some of the, you've been at all of the camps thus far. We don't have a recruiting writer right now. Um, we will soon though. We will, yeah, we will in three weeks. Um, but, but what, what, what have these two weeks been like for you recovering recruiting for, for a little bit? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it's the amount of visits that are happening in such a short period of time is unlike anything I can really remember in, you know, this sport. And I haven't necessarily been, you know, as plugged in on recruiting all the time as other people have been. But I know Andrew Ellis was saying it when we had him on the last episode too, about how, you know, this is unprecedented. It's just like, it, it could be a little overwhelming at times to try to keep up with it. It's like, Oh, they're going to have like all these guys on campus. And it's like literally almost literally every day they've got, some prospect of note that's on campus and you know it's like you know i've kind of made the comment off air but it's like you know, I mean like there's like a lot of different stories i could write right now and i don't have time to write all of them because there's just so much happening right now there's so many different uh visitors coming in and out all the time and so it's kind of a four-week sprint with the way that they've uh set this up with you know the dead period then happening again for another month here in a couple of weeks, but it's like everything gets condensed into four weeks. I, to me, I think it would have been better for everybody if they had just uh, made all of June and July a live period, but that's, that's a debate for another day. But uh, you know, it, it just packs so much into such a short period of time that, you know, it, it could definitely be a little bit hard to keep up with, but you know, it's fun. I mean, it's, it's fun. I mean, it's something that we've been uh, waiting a long time for, for, you know, there to actually be, you know, in-person recruiting activity again. And I think it's a, a very exciting time, uh, both of the recruits who finally are getting to go see these schools and meet these coaches in person, and a very exciting time for these teams that, you know, are trying to line up commitments. You know, we haven't seen a lot of commitments, period, yet. You know, I mean, not just at Ohio State. You know, I know some people, I think they see all the the recruits hinting at, booms on Twitter and are wondering what the hell is taking so long. But if, if you look around the country, there really have been very few commitments here uh, so far among high school recruits, because a lot of these guys have visits lined up all month. I think, you know, end of June and throughout July, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a ton of commitments all over the country. Once guys have a chance to, you know, finish this round of visits and then decompress a little bit and then kind of reflect on all of it and, and maybe start making decisions on where they want to go. From a purely camp thing, like a, a camp point of view, who are the two or three guys you've been like, oh, my God, like this guy's incredible? Yeah, I thought Hero Canoe, the German defensive tackle, who was at camp last week, was super impressive. I mean, you could see, I mean, here's he's a guy, you know, some people are saying, like, he looks like a five-star out there, and he really does. Like, just the – the body, I think he's 6'5", 293, and he just moves uh, incredibly well for a man of his size. You know, he's only played one year of American high school football, so 
He's obviously somewhat raw, but just in terms of uh, the ability uh, potential that he has, uh, he, he's a guy that, you know, I think has star potential. And, uh, you know, I, I had done a story on the European guys who uh, visited Ohio State a couple of years ago. And the truth was then none of those guys were Ohio State level recruits. They, they just they really weren't. And this year uh, they actually left the two guys getting offers. Uh, Swedish tight end uh, Theo Mellon Orstrom, who's gotten offers from pretty much everywhere he's been so far. Uh, he's another guy that's really intriguing, 6'6", 245, tight end. Again, uh, you know, has I mean, he, he still doesn't play in America. He plays football in Sweden, but you just see the size, the athleticism, uh, his catching ability. Uh, he's a guy who's a really intriguing prospect who's about to uh, soar up the rankings here. And then uh, Shamar Stewart of a five-star defensive end. You know, I was thinking when he showed up at Ohio State last week, I was thinking he, he probably won't even work out. He doesn't need to. He's a top 10 overall prospect. He doesn't have to prove anything. But he went through a workout with Larry Johnson and the rest of the campers, and you could certainly see why the guy is a number seven overall prospect in his class. I mean, just the size, uh, the ability to move. That's, I, mean, I mean, he's already built like an NFL player. And, you know, his ability to change direction, his explosiveness, you know, he, he's a guy, you know, I, I think most, you know, recruiting insiders aren't very confident in Ohio State's chances there. But if he were to pick the Buckeyes, he's a guy that certainly uh, with the tutelage of Larry Johnson would have the potential to be Ohio State's next superstar defensive end. All right. Different, different perspective. The coaches, you've, you've seen the coaches work with some of these guys. Who have you been most entertained by? Yeah. I mean, you know, you, Kerry Combs is always an obvious answer. I mean, there was one, I remember people were pointing it out on Twitter because it, it, it was a clip of Sonny Styles, and he was literally like running with Sonny Styles, backpedaling throughout the drill. So, you know, his energy uh, always exudes. You know, I think another guy, I think I made this comment to, to one of the uh, other writers who was out there, was, was watching Matt Barnes coach. And, and I think I made the comment of, man, if he just showed one-tenth of this amount of personality in press conferences, because, you know, he's a guy, you know, because, you know, we've been outside of a Woody for a year and most of our interactions with him have been, you know, in press conferences, like he just doesn't show a lot of personality with the media. He tends to be pretty guarded with the media, but when you see him out there on the field, you understand why people talk him up. You understand why he's somebody who's viewed as a rising star in the industry, because he's got a lot of personality out there. Uh, you know, he, he you, you can see him. He's constantly giving guys tips, uh, giving guys feedback, uh, you know, seems to have a lot of energy out there. You know, I, I think you get to see that with him watching him at that camp setting. And I think similarly, Corey Dennis is another guy who, I mean, we've, we've barely even talked to really since he, since he started here and he's still kind of an unknown commodity because his first year happened during COVID. But again, watching him, you know, obviously Ryan day is working with those quarterbacks too. And, you know, he, he has a huge, huge influence in that process, but seeing Corey giving guys tips and uh, the kind of coaching that he was given with quarterbacks, I was impressed seeing that and seeing like, you know, this is a guy who knows quarterback play, who's given these guys a lot of feedback and it gives you a glimpse into why Ohio state decided to promote him and make him quarterbacks coach too. 
Yeah, I think that those give a little nice insight because we haven't, like you said, like we haven't talked to many of those guys very much. And also, like because of COVID, we haven't been able to actually see them work. So it's good to have those kind of insights. Ohio State also landed a grad transfer this past week, a kicker, Noah Ruggles from North Carolina, which is interesting because, you know, I I do think that special teams has been kind of an understated concern going into this season with uh, losing Blake Hobbyow and Drew Chrisman. And, you know, we saw Jake Seibert, uh, you know, he's only made field goal last year was, I think it was like a 19 yarder or something like that. And, you know, he struggled in the spring game. We really haven't seen him much. And it's interesting to see them bring in a veteran here. I don't know exactly how that's going to play out in terms of, you know, who's going to be the starting kicker this year. My feeling is it'll probably be, you know, an open competition in preseason camp. And I don't know if they've necessarily uh, promised anything to the veteran kicker coming in, but it's interesting to see that they felt like they needed to go that route to bring somebody else in at that position. Yeah. The old adage in recruiting has always been like, watch what they do. Don't listen to what they say. And it usually is in regard to recruits who always talk up schools. Um, and a lot of times you can, things can be gained on, you know, where they're actually visiting rather than what they're actually saying. Um, and I think that that can be translated to Ohio, to college football coaches and the transfer market. And, you know, like you said, I don't know if they view kicker as a massive, massive concern or just something that they viewed, like they wanted a little bit of protection there if things aren't great. Um, with a new kicker and, and like, I, you know, no, you know, like you said, it's not like, it's not like Ruggles is coming in as, you know, a star, you know, it is, is, I think it was the 2019 season, which is the last one that, that he was the, the kicker for North Carolina. I believe he was 19 for, for 27 um, in total, notably made all 45 PATs, which, you know, shout out to, to Blake Hobbiel who, uh, was very, very good at those. Sean Nornberger, um, too. He set the record, I believe. I, yeah, Ohio State has been very good at those, which, to be honest, like matters a little bit more for an Ohio State, which has an awesome offense, which is going to be kicking more PATs by a significant margin than they do field goals. Yeah, no no doubt. So I, I, think, it'll be, I think it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. You know, I mean, this is a guy they're bringing in, Noah Ruggles, who you know, he lost the starting kicking job there last year. They brought in a transfer from uh, Furman University and – he, he was beat out. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think, you know, I mean, certainly we're talking about a kicker. We're not talking about bringing in Justin Fields here. We're not talking about even bringing in Jonah Jackson or Trey Sermon here. This is a different situation, but it's a kicker who lost his job. Yeah. But, like, you know, but I think, you know, he does have the talent. He does have, a, you know, the leg. I mean, he has a lot of videos of him kicking, you know, 60 yard field goals and such. So, you know, whether it's field goals, whether it's kickoffs or something, to get another option there if it's on scholarship. I, I think it's a smart play, especially since I think Ohio State's going to have a few leftover scholarships this year anyway. The other guy who uh, decided to make his commitment during the recording of this on, on Monday afternoon. And I'm glad he did, because if not, we would have talked about it and it would have all been obsolete. <laughs> yes. Dalen Baldwin, who I think surprisingly for a lot of people is a wide receiver. who is a grad transfer from Jackson State. Um who Ohio State offered a scholarship to, but he is going to Michigan, which now I guess the question for us is, do we expect Ohio State to add another wide receiver? 
a different wide receiver or was that maybe a one-off that they looked at Dalen Baldwin and said like, yeah, we don't have the deepest room. We don't have the oldest room in the world. He might be able to help. Or is it a depth thing that you think that they're going to go out and get the best guy that they can to come and just provide some depth? Yeah. I mean, I think first of all, say that if the way those two recruitments went, I think Ohio state's probably fine with getting Caleb Brown instead of Dalen Baldwin and not, the other way around here with uh, Michigan getting a rare win over Ohio state on the recruiting trail here. But, you know, I think, you know, first of all, I think, you know, that decision makes sense for him because I think the big question I had when I heard about this last week was I'm thinking, you know, what playing time is going to be available for Dalen Baldwin if he came into Ohio state, because you not only have Chris Olave and Garrett Olson coming back, but you have Jackson Smith and Jigba and you have Julian Fleming and you have Emeka Buka and you have Marvin Harrison Jr., and I've been expecting all six of those guys to see playing time this year. So I was definitely surprised when I saw that Ohio State had offered a graduate transfer wide receiver. But when you start to dig into it a little bit more, you know, it it does make some sense why they'd want to add a receiver here because Jameson Williams transferred, Mookie Cooper transferred, G. Scott Jr. moved to tight end, Demario McCall moved to cornerback, Ohio State hasn't confirmed this yet, but uh, Jeremy Birmingham from Letterman Road did report last week that uh, Jalen Harris and Elijah Gardner are also no longer playing football, which doesn't come as a big surprise because neither of them were going to be factors in the rotation this year anyway. But, I mean, that's six guys right there you're talking about losing from your roster. Plus, Cameron Babb also suffered an injury this spring, and – we're not sure exactly what his status is going to be this year. So in terms of that overall depth in the room, I mean, you're talking about potentially only having seven available scholarship receivers, those six that I named and then Jane Ballard and Olavi and Wilson are really the only two of those guys who have seen considerable uh, playing time, considerable catches. So I think it makes sense. I think the problem is I, what, what I don't think you want to do, and I don't think they were going to do, and I think this is a big reason why he chose Michigan over Ohio State, was that I don't think you want to bring somebody in that you're going to promise playing time to because I think the guys you have are too talented to, to bring some to bring in a veteran. I mean, that guy's got to be really good if he's going to come in and take away playing time from these young guys you have and potentially piss those guys off. So I think it's a very delicate balance here in terms of bringing in a wide receiver. You know, I think looking at Dalen Baldwin, I think he's a guy who's going to help Michigan. I think he's a guy that could have helped Ohio state. I mean, I think he's got that kind of talent, but I think the hard thing is finding that right guy. I mean, I think realistically, if you're going to add a receiver, it's got to be, the Gunner Hoke slash Chris Chuganov of wide receivers. It's got to be a guy who can come in and understands that he's going to be a third string receiver and he's probably not going to play a ton, but he's just happy to finish his career at Ohio state and add some depth. I think if there's a guy out there like that, that can just give you a little more uh, insurance uh, behind the top guys, then I think that would be a good move. But I, I just don't know if that right guy is going to be out there for that. You know, I, I think, I mean, I, th- I think the guys they have should be the best receiving core in the country. I don't think 
from a talent perspective, I certainly don't think they need any other receivers. I just think it's, it's the situation of if you were to have a couple injuries during the season, now you potentially get to the point where you're spread somewhat thin at that position. Yeah, I mean, maybe they end up with that guy. To be honest, like, I don't view that as much of a priority at all. Like, I think that they're trying to thread the needle here, and I can see why they're trying to thread the needle. Like, they're looking for a guy who has maybe one more year of eligibility who's better than Marvin Harrison Jr. right now and is willing to be a backup to Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson. That's a hard needle to thread. I think that that's the needle that they're trying that they were trying to thread with Baldwin. I don't know how many of those guys there are that are out there um, because like, I just don't know what the benefit of bringing in bad wide receiver who will be on the roster for one year and won't do anything. Like, what is that? You're just like that. You're not going to add anything with that. And if, if you're adding Chris Chuganov, then just the, the wide receiver version of that, then just go in. Like if two wide receivers are down, just go play a four man rotation of, of, of the top four guys, like you'll be better that way. So like, I don't know if I were Ohio state, if I would prioritize that, like maybe if I were like really, really concerned, which I'm, I'm personally like, I don't think that you should be, then I would look into that. But I think that threading the needle, um, I understand why they would thread that needle because it's not like you're going to scare off Marvin Harrison jr. Or a Mecca Buka by adding a guy who will be there for one year and in a backup capacity and will still allow you to get on the field some as a freshman, knowing that you're going to be a potential starter in year two. So I, I, I think that's I think that's an understandable needle to try to thread. I just don't know how you're going to thread, even if you're Brian Hartline, who is work magic. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's just it's just really tough. You know, I think it's always, always difficult with with transfers to try to you know, Fred bad needle. I mean, it's not difficult when it's Justin Fields, you know, it's not difficult when it's someone of that caliber who is just clearly better than the guys you have, you know, then you just do it and you live with whatever consequences come from it. But I think with this, you know, receivers, it's like, okay, like if you're going to bring in a, a veteran, then like you've got to, it's just hard. It's just, it's just hard because I think, you know, to me, like Dalen Baldwin, I looked at him, I said, could he be better than Marvin Harrison or Julian Fleming is right now? Maybe because I haven't really seen those guys play, but I don't know because I've only seen him play against FCS competition. So it's hard to know, you know, if, if one of these guys coming in is even going to be better than the young guys coming in and most likely somebody's not going to be happy about it. So I just think it's a challenging needle to try to fret. That said, I understand it. I, did too. I personally wouldn't get a chug. What, it, 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 sitting here, like, would you get a Chris Chuganov Gunner Oak if you were Ohio State or no? I mean, if he wants to come in for one year and just he, he's a guy that's got some experience, could provide some depth, and he's coming in with no expectations of playing time, sure, because they have it, at this point, they have at least five scholarships available and they're not going to fill them all up. I mean, they might, they might get JT, yeah, they m- might get Palier Mayoteote, which, I mean, there was a lot of buzz about that a few weeks ago and it seems to have quieted down again. So I'm still not sure where they're going with that. You know, maybe they pursue a transfer defensive back or something like that. But uh, I think there's basically no chance they're going to use all the available scholarships they have. So if there's a couple depth guys out there like that, who are willing to just come in for one year and be backups and just be happy to be part of Ohio state. Sure. I don't, I don't see any harm in that. I don't know, but I actually see it happening though. 
All right. We have a few additional questions we can run through pretty quickly. Um, first one from Bia asks, if you could change anything about the recruiting process or multiple things, what would they be? Could be anything, even if it's not practical or realistic, like adults not tweeting at teens, certain programs not get caught in, getting caught for cheating, a less top-heavy recruiting landscape, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Dan, what comes to mind? I'm just going to keep as simple as somebody who's been spending even more time trying to figure them out here as I've been covering recruiting extensively for the past few weeks. And I just wish the rules were simpler. Like, I, I just think I just think the rules should be simpler. Like, I think the rules of, like, coaches not being allowed to contact 2023 prospects until a certain date. Like, I think that's silly because what they all end up doing then is then they have to call the head coach and then the head coach has to instruct the player to call the coach at a certain time so that they can talk. It's just like, it's silly. Like the rules about how a coach can retweet a prospect, but cannot reply to their tweet, cannot DM them until a certain day. Like that's, that stuff I think is silly. It's like, that's the biggest thing for me. It's like, just make the rules simpler, like little stuff like that. You know, I mean, you know, just, you know, to some of the things that constitute violations in recruiting are, are just silly. And, and I, I don't really understand why they're even in place. So, but that'd be the biggest thing for me is just stuff about like, you know, digital communication and all that, just make those rules more simple rather than, you know, make, setting these arbitrary dates that I'm not really sure why they even exist. All right. So that's a, that's a good answer. It's maybe like a more serious answer. I have, I don't know if it's a controversial take. I think that you're not going to agree with this and it can't ever happen. It won't ever happen again, but I wish that significantly fewer, uh, it was significantly more difficult to know where recruits were going to go. And I think that some people are going to hate me for that because they love the recruiting information. But I'll be honest, like if you pay attention to recruiting, you know where 95% of recruits are going to go before they actually commit. Um, On one hand, I like it because like, I'll be honest, like from our perspective, it's better to be, uh, it's easier to be prepared when you know that somebody is going to commit to Ohio State or Ohio State commit is or Ohio State target is going to to commit elsewhere. But from a fan perspective, I sort of like the unknown. The unknown's fun. Uh, the unknown can be stressful as well, but the unknown is fun. Um, Dan, do you? Am I correct? Do you dislike this take? I do dislike this take. Yeah, no, no recruiting writer is ever going to agree with you that they want less information about where guys are going. So I, I get, I get where you're coming from. I mean, I get like, it is like, it's got, it is like it, it's fascinating to follow like the JT to a recruitment when we really don't know where he's going to go. It's fascinating to follow the Efton Reed saga when we didn't know where we're going to go. So I get where you're coming with it, but as someone who's a who's a writer, I can't say that I want less information about things that are going to happen. Okay, yeah, I mean, listen, I knew you were going to come at as a at it from a writer. I'm thinking from a perspective of me thinking that Joshua Christopher being 95% crystal ball to Michigan by like 20 different reporters and picking Arizona State was sort of awesome. Um, and I think that those things are fun and those things are increasingly rarer. I'd be interested to hear what our fans have to say. If any of you want to comment and, and reply on what you think. I mean, I would think the fact that like all these recruiting subscription sites thrive 
would suggest that most fans, at least the fans who love recruiting, don't want that because oh, yeah. no, I know I'm, I'm agreeing with that. The 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 most hard the people who have the most strong opinions on what I just said are the people who are going to disagree with me because the people <laughs> who like recruiting information really like recruiting information. Like, don't get me wrong, like I like it too. There's just sometimes where it's like I don't. I wish that I knew where fifty percent of the recruits were going to go, not ninety five percent. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like the NFL draft, right? Where like people get pissed off about like tipping picks and stuff. Like people, people like the suspense. They like, they like the drama mm-hmm. that comes with it. Where, you know, for those of us who are, you know, informa- information gatherers by trade, I, I want to just have the information as, as soon as I can get it as, and as completely as I can get it. But uh, I, I do get what you're saying from a fan's perspective. And the, the 247 crystal ball was a great invention by 247. It also allowed a, a significantly more widespread amount of people to know where recruits would go. And like, I think that that's, you know, that's, that's good in some respects. I think I'm just being nostalgic for the days where I didn't always know where guys were going to go. And sometimes it was fun to, to, to follow recruiting in those days, but that'll never happen again. So people can have their opinions on, on my opinion, but it's never going to change. So we're just moving forward with every, with all the information going to be out there. Seems like a good time for this question for you, Colin, from Meet Me at 411. Who do you think will be recruits Chris Holtman ends up getting in the 2022 Ohio State basketball class? Yeah, I think it's a good question. It's hard to know right now. I mean, they've had two guys on campus thus far, and AJ, AJ Casey and Kyle Filipowski, both those guys are going to go take more official visits. Um, and if those are the only guys you've had on campus right now and you have – at least five other guys this month scheduled for official visits. Like it's hard to give any sort of um, takes on, on how, how Ohio state basketball is going to end up with their 2022 guys right now. Like if I were just to guess, like maybe I'd go AJ Casey, Kyle Filipowski or, or Julian Phillips with uh, Dylan Mitchell. But like, I don't really know. Like I feel confident that they're going to get two other guys. I feel confident that they're both going to be either Fords or big men. Um, but I just don't know yet. And I think that, I mean, you can even see it by Ohio State offering another big man last week. Like, they're not exactly locked into anybody quite yet. Like, they have guys like they really want Kyle Filipowski. They really want A.J. Casey. But these are also guys who are coveted by a lot of other schools. And, and it's going to take um, it's going to take a great recruiting effort by, by Chris Holtman and the rest of his staff to, to, to secure them. Those guys obviously being added to the trio of Bruce Fortin, Roddy Gale, and Bowen Hardman. Yes, yes. And which like it's a great foundation right now, but the front court's a really big uh I think the 2022 class in general is really important because you're essentially building out the future of backcourt and the future of your front court in the same class. And like some some years you're only getting like one or two guys who you expect to be impactful right off the bat. Like in the 2022 class, you need both of these, the backcourt and the frontcourt, to have guys who are going to be instant impact guys. And right now they have that at guard, and they have it you know, in that shooting guard wing spot with, with Roddy Gale, but now they also need it with the frontcourt. Last question that we got this week comes from Silver Sniper, always one of our favorite question askers, and he asked, who do you consider to be the most underrated or most unheralded member of the current football team. And I, I was giving this one some thought before we started recording, Colin. And I think my honest answer is, I don't know if there really is one. Like, I think I think of the last couple of years, and like, I think there were a couple, 
like really obvious ones the last couple of years. One of them was Luke Farrell. Like Luke Farrell was consistently the guy who everybody said was the underrated unsung hero on the team and uh, a guy that never really got the recognition, but there's a reason why he was uh, the first pick of a fifth round in the NFL draft. And one of those reasons was probably his relationship with Urban Meyer, but another one, the fact that he was actually a really good football player for Ohio state. And, you know, Pete Werner was another guy that I think we both talked about a lot that we always felt deserved more recognition than he got from Ohio state fans. But when I look at the roster this year, you know, when I look, when I, when I think of, you know, unheralded or underrated, I'm thinking of guys who have already accomplished something that they haven't gotten much credit for. And I don't really know if there's a guy that in my mind really fits that mold on this team. I think there's a lot of potential breakout players on this team that, uh, you know, people maybe don't necessarily know about yet, but I just don't know if there's a guy that I can really think of who deserves significantly more credit than he's gotten so far in his Ohio state career. Is there a guy that comes to mind for you, Colin? I think that the way that you become an underrated or unheralded guy in the minds of Ohio state fans is like, you have to be understated personally. Like you're not going out there. You're not like a Damon Arnett talker. Like you're not, you're not making your, your, your quotes are not headlines. <laughs> you're also not like a former five-star recruit is you're never going to be underrated or understated. If you're a former five-star recruit, Tyree Johnson's the prime example because everybody wanted to know what Tyree Johnson was doing for a few years. Then he transferred. I agree. I think it's really hard to find someone who, who is, who fits that bill right now. Like I have a couple guys in mind and none of them are perfect. Are, do you have anybody in mind who you, who you thought of right now? Like if I had to say someone, I'd probably say Nicholas Petit Frere because I still feel like – I feel like Ohio State fans know who he is, but I don't feel like the nation really knows who he is yet. And I think he's a guy that if he has the kind of year I think he can have, that he could end up being a, a future first-round NFL draft pick. So that's probably the best answer I can come up with. But you know, I think, I think you know, among Ohio State fans, I think he gets the credit he deserves. I just don't think he's as well-known nationally as a Thayer Munford yet. Yeah, I separate it into two categories. Like I think nationally – the there are three guys who I think you you could legitimately say this about. Uh, Jeremy Rucker, Thayer Munford, Nicholas Petit-Frere. Because I think those guys are among the best at what they do in the country. And almost never do you hear those guys brought up in, in those types of conversations nationally. Um, I think maybe Jeremy Rucker will get there and maybe Thayer Munford will get there as well. But um, like those are the three who I think. Locally, I think it's really hard. I came up with like one and a half names. I think, I think one might be like Josh Proctor. And I think I, I say that because nobody talks about Josh Proctor anymore. It's like he started last year and he's had a, you know, he's, he's worked his way into a starting role and he wasn't great last year. Like he wasn't bad. He wasn't great. He was fine. And I think that the the fact that there are 10 other guys who are pushing for playing time in the defensive backfield, you have seven banks who <laughs> has apparently become a first round 2022 prospect. Like, I feel like he's overshadowed right now. I don't really think he's underrated, underheralded within the Ohio State market. But like, if you're forced to make me pick, like, I guess maybe he'd be the guy. And the others, like I would say, like, I might say Dallas Gantt. Dallas Camp might not even start though, so like I don't I don't 100 know if I if that would be a great pick. Um, but you're right. Like 
I agree with your general point that like, if we're just talking about from like Columbus, like I don't think people in Columbus are really underrating anybody on this current team right now. The one other guy that I would sort of say, but it, it feels really weird to say, I, I don't think un, unheralded is definitely not the right word. I don't think underrated is either, but I think the, the guy that I look at and that I say that I, I just think, I think fans are maybe a little too hard on him as Zach Harrison. Like I, I think like like fans like sometimes the questions we get about Zach Harrison like makes me think that like he's been some horrible player for Ohio State. And I don't think that's been the case at all. He hasn't been Chase Young, and I think that's what he's expected to be. So I think he gets, you know, criticized because people are expecting some dominant player that he hasn't been yet. But sometimes the way fans talk about him, I I feel like he takes more criticism than he should. I don't know if that's the same as being underrated, but just that I think maybe over-criticized at times. I think that's fair also. I think I've maybe done some of the criticism, so I don't know how much I can <laughs> how much I can say on this matter. <laughs> well, thanks everyone for listening in uh, to this week's Real Pod Wednesdays. Uh, lots to cover after a week off, so hope you all enjoyed it all. And we'll be back next week for some more Ohio State talk.